0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Emerging Excellence. I'm here with the amazing Brett. How are you going today, Brett?
1: I'm well, thank you, Felicity. I must say, though, I'm also at the moment refreshing, refreshing, refreshing so I can get Tay-Tay tickets. No, I'm just joking. But that's what a lot of people, no doubt, are trying to do at some point in their lives right now.
0: I didn't realize that. I'm definitely missing out. Lots of oh, FOMO happening. Get current. Either. Come on. Get current. Yeah. Oh my gosh. She's actually on my favorite playlist at the moment. So I should be in the know. She is um, well, that's, I think that's an interesting, uh, interesting lead into our discussion today. So we're going to be talking about how do you make decisions? How do you decide to spend your life on a computer refreshing for Tay tickets? Brett, have you got a kind of go to approach when it comes to making a decision?
1: Yeah. So look, I'm a big believer. When you make a decision, you need to make it with your head or with your heart, right? One of the best books I've ever read, sorry, not written because I'm certainly not a writer, but one of the best books I've ever read was Blink by a guy named Malcolm Gladwell, I think it is. And the reason I talk about that, Felicity, is it basically says that the majority of the decisions that you're going to make come from your gut. They come from a place where the human body and the brain has this innate ability to really quickly synthesize and come up with decisions. So, generally, I generally make a decision with my. I've got to think through this now. <laughs> I'm struggling a bit, with my gut. So it's that. But I think what I'm saying there is it's the head versus the heart. If that makes sense. So yeah. So I think the intuitive piece is it sits, it resides in the head, and most of the decisions I make generally are with my head but of course as a leader there are going to be times when you make a decision with your head and your heart hurts later or conversely Mm -hmm. you'll make a decision with your heart and your head will say what the hell were you thinking what about you how do you make your decisions
0: I think in the beginning of my career being trained as an engineer it it was very head focused and I think it's very good for engineers because we have a process you know one consultancy I work for had a four-step verification process for any of my structural designs which is a good thing And I think I got trained very logically and very analytically. And so I I think into a pattern of that's how I should make decisions is very logic-based. And I didn't really realise that was my training and it was kind of, you know, it, became, it went for something to become innate. And I think we don't get trained as well growing up of how do you make a decision? You go, oh, i go to school, uni, et cetera. Or well, what's you know, the best career choice? You don't go, oh, my gut feeling about the rest of my life and what I'm going to do is, is these things. And a lot of things are chosen for us when we're young. So definitely in the beginning of my career, I was more head focused. And as I've gone more into business, more into leadership, I can relate to what you said, going to more heart focused. And But sometimes I feel when I'm making decisions from my heart, it's almost like I'm blindfolded and I'm kind of, you know, spinning a globe and putting my finger down and pointing at something and can feel a bit uncertain for me. But I think that's a lot to do with my training as an engineer to think from my heart, think from my head.
1: Yeah, I I think what I've learned in my leadership journey, you're always going to get some decisions that are right and some that are wrong. And I think it's okay for us, you know, if we're thinking about the people that might be listening to the podcast. You know, we don't want people to feel stifled as they go in their leadership journey or grow in their leadership journey. I've made a lot of decisions that are good, and I've made a lot of decisions that are really, really bad. And I think what you become more attuned to as you get more mature in leadership is recognizing where you might be stepping into a situation that you've been in before and actually saying, okay, I'm starting to see some patterns here. What do I need to do to take the extra step before I make the decision? And I think, you know, we've talked in other podcasts about reflecting and all that type of stuff. Decision-making is exactly the same. You learn through experience. You learn through what you're doing on a daily basis. And what you've got to do is you've actually got to feel comfortable in thinking outside yourself and saying, I don't feel comfortable. I know that that's the right decision. So I think that's a really important point when anyone talks about decisions as a leader. Yeah,
0: there's definitely development in the gut feeling that I've had over time and I think one just reminded me where often I've gone to a mentor to ask for advice around something and say oh I've got to make this decision here's what I'm weighing up here's what I think I should do or say or don't tell them what I'm going to do just say what would you do and often I have an idea in my head of you know what I'm going to do and then if they say Something different and I don't agree. You do get that feeling of like, Oh no, I don't agree with that. And that can be a really good test. I think too, to go out and speak to people. So to talk about the decision and go, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking. And then that also helps too, where you go, Oh, I'm actually don't agree with what they're saying. And then that can narrow your focus a bit.
1: And I think that's a really important point, right? Having people around you that are not sick fans, having people around you who are not yes people, I think is a really, really important part of a leadership's tool, a leader's toolkit, right? If you have people around you that just say, "Oh, yes, yes, ma'am, no, sir," you know, all that type of stuff, they're not actually helping you make the right decision. So, you know, one of the things that I, I really instill in the people that I work with as part of my team is I say I value. A different view. I value a difference. And I actually, you know, I really appreciate it with some, when one of my team says, no, that's a stupid idea. And I've had some people say, that is a really stupid idea. I love that type of passion, that real honest conversation around the leadership table when we're making decisions. So I think what you've also got to do as you grow in your leadership journey is you've got to know that it's okay to have people that challenge how you make decisions and why you make decisions.
0: Recently when there was one of the COVID outbreaks, we had planned to run an event in Sydney and it was June, I think, 2021, something like that, and right before one of the the lockdowns and we had to make the call, do we go ahead with the event? Do we fly people? in? Someone had already arrived there from Perth and do we do this event? And we had lots of mentors who were really senior board members. It was front one of our Elevator Merchant Days and we had to make the call, do we go ahead or not? And I made the call. I was literally presenting on stage about leadership I walked off stage, got this message about potential COVID outbreak and then went, all right, I've got to call it. And I remember calling one of the really senior executive mentors and he said, that's the call, go for it, back yourself. And that was so helpful. I was worried about what he'd think and what he'd say. Oh, you've wasted my time, whatever bad thing I had going on in my head. But it was so powerful to go, you're the leader, you've made the choice and back it. And I think sometimes that can be really powerful is you with that gut feeling Backing it with your gut. What do you think?
1: Oh, look, I absolutely think you've got to back it with your gut. There's no doubt about that. I mean, look, I think you'll know when you've made the right decision. It sort of it feels right, and that's a really hard thing to talk about, you know, because it's such a nebulous concept, right? But I've made some decisions where I haven't been sure, and they've turned out to be right. They've also, in some instances, turned out to be wrong, and you don't know until a little bit later. So. I'm a big believer in gut feel. I really believe that my gut is generally right. You know, that's one of the joys of being a wisdom worker, Felicity. You, you have a lot of experience under your belt. You know, in your gut to help you sort of develop that. And so, I think you know you've got to you got to believe in self. You've got to believe in your gut, and you've got to believe and know that you're going to stuff up every now and then. That's okay. You know, you know what I mean. You, you just got to know that it's okay to stuff up. As a as a, I always get this wrong. Millennial? Yeah, yeah. you're a millennial, right? Yeah. Talk to me about do you as a millennial generally feel that your gut is right or or are you still, you know, given despite all the wonderful stuff that you've done and your seniority and, and your entrepreneurship, do you still sort of juggle this is my gut right conversation internally?
0: I often think about it from different perspectives. So what perspective am I thinking from today? So if I'm running a business, I go, what's the best thing for my business? I personally might not like that answer, but there's definitely a, here's what my gut says around, here's the right thing to do for my business. Then there's also, here's the right thing to do for Felicity personally, because here's my goals and here's where I'm going. So for me, the context is really important to put that hat on first. And recently I've been dealing with a situation where I could step back into the business and kind of rescue a project and it's something I'm really passionate about. And it's really important to me, but I know deep down that's not what is best for Felicity. And that's been a really hard decision for me to make. I know gut feeling, don't go down that path. Don't go back into that project. I know I could make it amazing and awesome, but it's just not the right choice for me. So I think that's really important because when you are leading a business or you're representing a business in your role, it's important to make decisions from that perspective of what your role is. And yeah, I think I'm getting better and better at it. But I also think that the clarity of goal is important too. So if you aren't sure where you want to go personally or what direction you want your life to take, then it can be really difficult to make a decision in the now. So Often if I'm feeling like being indecisive or I can't kind of tap into that gut feeling, I go, okay, am I clear on where I'm going? Because that kind of sets those boundaries of where to make the decision from.
1: And let me ask you this question. You know, how do you make sure to the best of your ability that you're making the right decision for the future?
0: I have my five-year vision and my bucket list of what I want to do. So I go, does it align with that? And then I do think about things like leverage, you know, is this a leverage play? Am I getting highest and best use of my time and my value? So those things are factors and I consider those when I'm making a decision because, you know, I could go do lots of admin tasks, but is that the best use of my time? Probably not. I should outsource that. So I do. And yeah, it's a tricky one because I think it's a constant conversation to have or You know, I noticed if I'm stressed, actually, then I go, I haven't really thought clearly about my future and set those goals. But I'm a real goal setter. Yeah, I'm totally converted. I'm on the goal setting bandwagon and I'm obsessed with it because it really helps me create that clarity. Did I answer your question? Do you need more?
1: I think you did. You did. But I think what I was taking away is, is when you're thinking future, you're thinking next week or the week after, maybe not five years down the track.
0: I've got the vision board for the five years. It's actually right there on the wall next to my computer. And so I, I do check that in regularly. And we got one on our, inside our car as well. So when we wow. get into, the, into well, it's the motorhome, so it's on the fridge in the motorhome. So wherever we're traveling, we've got the five-year vision. And I do check in, is it aligned to that? So often when it's, I think, the big picture stuff, it's more around alignment and is it in that general direction? And then there's the specific day-to-days. But I do find it really difficult to think beyond the five years. Mm. And recently on our holiday to the UK, we're visiting family and they're getting older. And so that's really put things in perspective of what is really important because life is short.
1: One of the things that we do, and this is one of the benefits, and there are a lot of benefits in being a public servant, but one of the benefits of being a public servant, particularly when you're at the senior level of the public service, is sometimes you have to go and attend what are called estimates committees. And that's where you get to sit, you know, before members of parliament, et cetera, and answer questions about the performance of your organisation. And the reason that I talk about that is one of the things that I always think of, and, and my team and I do this on a really regular basis, is... We all, we often ask ourselves this question, how is this going to impact somebody that's sitting in the chair five years or 10 years in the future? Are they going to be able to understand the decisions that we made now so that if they get questioned about it, we can actually support them in the future? And that's a really important thing that we do about, you know, in particular, the really big strategic decisions that we often have to make. So that's, that's something that, you know, we're always talking about, it, you know, with, with my leadership team and I actually think it's a really good way to stay true to making the right, right the deci- the right decision for now but also for the future it's that almost like protecting the people who are going to be in the organization in the future from mm-hmm. mistakes that might have been made past what do you think about mm-hmm. that
0: yeah i get what you're saying i think at a conversation at a conference last week in new zealand and they did this under 35 presentation competition and it was awesome because I didn't fit in that category. So I was hearing all these young Gen Z's present and this lady, Melissa Alfrey actually did a fantastic presentation and I spoke to her afterwards and she said to me, is it about asset management was the conference, was a the big theme of the conference. And a lot of the people there maintaining assets and, and working in the public service. And she said to me, You know, we have to inherit all these assets and they're coming to the end of their life. So we need to figure out what to do with them, what's going to be the best thing. And I, it was amazing because I literally have never thought about that. I went, Oh, yeah. A lot of the road projects I worked on, she's going to be inheriting those and having to figure out what to do with them. And what about those assets that are end of life that were done before my generation, et cetera. And it was such a cool moment because I, Great, the next generation is coming through. This is what they're thinking about, and we the decisions we are making, like you said, do have an impact on the future generations, or even our grandchildren. You know, I've been really and often thinking about the future ahead for all of us. But I think that's such a great point of well, what about three generations below us, the ones who haven't even been born yet? What are they? What are they going to need? What decisions are we making for them?
1: And I think you know, getting back to one of the previous podcasts where you know we spoke about what's the role of leadership, and and I, I spoke about. You know, I, I really believe in, in, in this book, Legacy, which is about how the All Blacks have become, you know, just such a wonderful, dominant sporting team and from a leadership perspective, how that translates into business. One of the things that the book, Legacy, talks about is leaving the All Blacks jersey in a better position. Mm-hmm. And, and so when we think about decisions in, you know, in the teams that I work with, we always think about that. Is this decision going to leave the organisation in the future in a better or worse place? And if it's in a worse place, then from an intrinsic analytical perspective, it makes you think about whether or not it's the right decision.
0: That's good. You make me think a lot about decisions we're making around climate change or some of those bigger challenges that we have where it's how can we be proactive in our decision making. I feel like COVID was something that we reacted to and lots of change happened and different decisions were made, but there's a lot of things that going to be challenges in the future that I don't think we're thinking proactively enough about and making the right decisions now.
1: Let me ask you this question. How do you let somebody that you're working with, or sorry, I'll recant that. Let me ask a different question. Do you find it easy to let somebody who's making the wrong decision that you work with, do you find it easy to let them go and make the wrong decision or do you step in?
0: That's good. I've definitely been in that situation before where I've thought it's the wrong decision. I think if they're if they're in a leadership role, then I maybe there's something, give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe there's something that they can see that I can't see and there's a context that's missing. So I've done I've done both where I've let people go and then it hasn't gone well. But I think it comes back to that relationship and the continuous conversation. So I, you know, I feel like in my team, you speak to people regularly. So it's not like I'd let someone go. You'd be a total failure, and then pull it back. I find it hard to do though, because yeah, got to you know teaching people to fish is a lot better than telling people how to fish. And there's a lot of powerful lessons. But yeah, I I do my best to let people go, but then also make sure we have those reflection moments of, you know, how would you do it differently? And I've often found that they have better, the team has better ideas than I do, and why is my way of doing something the right way? Actually, it could work out better. So I do like to just bring a positive perspective to it of, okay, well, maybe there's something they're doing that I can't see or there's a better way that it's going to work out that I can't see and be optimistic about it. How do you approach it? It's a difficult one.
1: Uh, this is where I think this is the true crossover in my view and in my experience from head to heart, right? So I, I think it's important for a leader to let people fail in a safe environment, of course, right? Yeah. Don't set people up to fail. Set them up to succeed. but obviously that means that sometimes you need to let people fail. And so I think the reason that I talk about the head versus the heart piece here is I think you need to be able to differentiate when your heart is saying to you, don't do that, it's not the right thing, it's going to hurt them or they're going to mm-hmm. fail and, and the project might go bad or whatever it is, right? But I think that's when you need to get attuned to be able to say in your head, but this is how that person's going to learn, mm-hmm. right? A lot of people that I've worked with have said, and not enough this is a positive or negative, but they've said to me that they don't understand how one minute I can be, you know, engaging with them in a really relaxed, pleasant way. And then the next minute it's almost like I could cut their heads off, you know, in respect of being the pragmatic leader. And that's a figurative speech. I just it's important that I say that. And I think what I've learned to do is I've learned to be able to disassociate the head from the heart. Mm. Now that that's a cold way of being a leader, right? In some instances. But I think if you want to get, in my experience, if you want to get the best out of your people, what you've got to let them do is know heart that you will allow them to work and to try and succeed and fail safely. What you've got to do is you've sort of got to get your mind attuned to being able to know when that is coming, and you need to actually be really brave as the leader in saying, Jenny or Johnny, I'm not going to engage. I'm not going to intervene. I'm going to let them learn. By the decisions that they're making, it's almost that rescue piece, right? Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is, you need to know when the heart is telling you to rescue, but the head is saying die.
0: Do you often scenario plan with people, as in kind of talk through all the consequences of decisions, and does that help you in those situations where you want to have people fly, you know, succeed and, and grow and learn? Or do you, yeah, how do, do you do that before, or do you do the autopsy on the decision? The post mortem at the end.
1: I don't scenario plan. What I do is is when I'm setting up a new team or working with a team for the first time, I set the expectations that I have. I then flip that and say, Tell me what your expectations of me are. And that's when I'd say, you know, I want you to make the decisions, I want you to own your decisions, I want you to back your decisions. And then I usually say, if you're operating in good faith, I'll support you 100, and then I say, you know, there will be times when you get it wrong, when I get it wrong, we got to learn from that, right? So that's how I sort of—I don't scenario I plan, but I establish the boundaries. And then what I do is, I—if something goes bad, whether it's me or or somebody else—I hold them to account, and I say, right, how did we get here? What have you learned? Really importantly, I then make sure that they own the consequences. I had an—I had an example, you know, many years ago where, you know data was an issue in in respect of, of one matter. And we'd been reporting data to the board and somebody came to me and said, I just want to let you know that the data's wrong that we've been reporting to the board for the last four or five months. And, you know, you, you get a little bit disappointed even every now and then you get a little bit angry, right? So what I said to this person is, okay, well, you're going to fix it. So fix the data. Then what you're going to do is you're going to front the board chair with me and you're going to tell the board chair how we got here why we got here and importantly, what you're going to do to make sure it doesn't happen again. Now, that's a really hard lesson for somebody to do, particularly when they've no. got a front. Now, the first thing I did is I went into the board chair and I told them that this was going to happen. And I put my hand up straight away and said, this is on me. I'm the leader of the organisation. This has happened on my watch. It's my fault. And they said, well, it's not. It's who this other person. I said, no, 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 it's my, my fault. I said, but what I want you to do is I want this person to have to front you to understand that when things go wrong, there are consequences, even if with the best intent, things mm. go wrong. And so that's how I do the post mortem if that if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I think owning up to the consequences is really powerful. There's there's a saying, make not making a decision is making a decision. And I find a lot of young people, young leaders wait and there's a lot of time between having you know, having a making decision and then making it. And it's fascinating, I feel when I contact a lot of executives, even, you know, hey, can we book a meeting? They are rapid at getting back to me. Yep, this time works. I find it almost shocking sometimes, but all of the amazing mentors I have back to me incredibly quickly where uh, more junior people actually can take a long time to even just make a decision about when to meet with somebody. So I find that's a conversation I'm often having is that you know, what's going to happen. And a lot of it is a fear, a fear of, oh, well, I don't have a bad thing to happen, or they go to this really dark place of the worst consequence. How do you approach that of not making a decision, or how can we make decisions more quickly?
1: Oh, I think the vortex of indecision, right? thats I had a conversation with some people just recently about not getting caught up into the vortex of indecision. I think I've been really lucky that I've had some fantastic leaders that have allowed me to fail safely. I, I really, really cannot under understated or overstate, I can't. I don't even know the right phrase. That you need to make sure that people can fail safely, right? And I think it's only through that lived experience, from a decision making perspective, as you grow through your leadership journey, that you'll actually get more comfortable in actually knowing that the decision you're making is okay, if that makes sense. And so I think you know what I I've grown into being comfortable with my decisions. You know, I've I've been I've been smashed from bad decisions. I've been Pat it on the back for good decisions. And I think, you know, the earlier you are in your career, I think it's probably a little bit harder to make a more definitive decision because as you articulated, people are still indecisive about who they are and what they want out of a role or something along Mm. those lines, right? So I think that's okay. What I do is I just say it's better to not, it's my view, better to make a decision and be at the wrong decision then not make any decision at all from a vortex piece. And getting and that's a differentiation to what you said, which is sometimes not making a decision is a decision. Two different things, right? Making the wrong decision or making a decision to not make a decision are decisions. Better to do those two than get into a vortex of, I'm just going to let that sit there and I'm not going to come back to it and I'm not going to come back to it.
0: Yeah, I like that. The vortex of non-decision. I'm going to take that one on. And, yeah, I've definitely been there myself. And, yeah, I think there is that fear of not making the right one. And I agree. I think it's better to make a decision even if it's wrong and then you can progress and move forward. Or if you're not making the call, then it's very hard to progress from that.
1: Who in the world has never made a wrong decision? That's the way, you know, the majority of decisions we make are right. They're right now. They might not be right in the future or they might not be right tomorrow. But I think, you know, the nuance in being a leader and thinking about decisions that impact now versus in the future, I think that's, you know, it's the, the conversation internally that leaders often have, which is, do we need to take, you know, the expedient decision now versus the right decision in the future, if that's if that makes sense? And we often have that conversation in the teams that I work with expediency is sometimes a really nice way to do it make a decision it'll be all right for the now but I always challenge my team to say well how does this look for somebody sitting in the chair in the future and that there the difference between expediency and the more strategic decision is when I find in my experience you get into some really important conversations that can go on and on and on and really challenge how people think about things
0: Do you often have your mind change over decisions you've made because of conversations or do you feel like, or, you know, how how does that go for you and has that changed over your career?
1: Oh, look, I'm not going to, I'm not just saying this because people might be watching it. It's the truth. I'm never the smartest person in the room. I'm just not. And so the one thing that I do well is I bring people together and actually allow them to have a safe environment to challenge each other. And, in, and to challenge me. So I think what I'm good at also doing is taking information and quickly deciding on something based on, and that I think comes with experience and time. But, yeah, there, there are lots of times when I don't make my my decision changes. And another thing as well that I often do with, with the elite teams that I lead is I often don't make decisions. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer that if you want to get a good, you know, harmonious team environment, You've got to get those people to make the decisions. And so what I often do around the leadership tables that I'm sitting at is I'll ask each person for, for their input, and then I'll then basically summarise the decision that the team is making, and then I'll say, right, I just want to make sure everybody's comfortable that this is the decision that you're all making. I often don't make decisions in some of those things, and I think that's a really important thing that you know leaders sometimes forget. They don't have to make all the decisions. Yes, they might have to wear the responsibilities, but that's how you grow your teams. You would have seen mm. that,
0: no doubt. Oh, for sure. And you just reminded me of this book called Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. And Have you read it, Brett? No, no. Oh, it's great. So it talks about instead of trying to find, how, find out or figure out how you're going to make something happen, you find a bunch of who's. So you find all the people and you go, look, you're the right person for the job. I'm not going to tell you how to do your job this is what I need done. Here are my objectives. Here's, you know, big picture. Here's where we're going. You decide, figure out everything else. And I think that's a powerful context to think from just like you articulated in that, you know, that you're delegating the decision, but maybe not the responsibility as the leader. And I love that because it's like, they're the expert in that, in that thing and you're empowering them to do that. And I think that's the job of a leader.
1: Let me ask you this question then. Given we've had this conversation before, given the, the the role that leaders often have, technical versus general, if there's a technical decision, and this is probably challenging your engineering brain now. If there's a technical decision to be made, do you listen to non-technical people like me?
0: Well, I, I straight away went to working on an engineering project. So my engineering brain did do that. Oh, I think it would depend on. The situation was because often I've been a project manager managing technical people, and I am definitely not the expert on technically whatever that thing is. So I think there's the power of asking questions there of, and I found too, working on an engineering project, you might have, say, five technical people in the room. So you say it was a building, you know, you're going to have your architect, your structural engineer, mechanical, electrical, and often they have competing priorities. So whatever the decision is for that technical person is right, In their sphere and their world. So again, I think it comes back to the context because that might be the best architectural decision, but you know, there's, they, we need to send some electric, you know, pipes through there and it's going to look rubbish. So often I think the generalist can help sort of see the bigger picture of things. And that's what I think a benefit can be. And it's important to consider where people are making their decision from and what are the drivers, because it might not necessarily be the same as you. So I don't know if I answer your question, but No, you I feel- do. it's
1: the same yeah. thing somebody's looking at, it, right? I mean, yeah. I, I think, you know, there might be some specific, I mean, we deal with a lot of legal matters in the sectors that I work in and I'm not a lawyer, but, you know, one thing that I'm I'm I love doing is having really hard conversations with lawyers and challenging their thinking. Hmm. And then they also challenge my thinking, right? And and I think you know the reason that I ask that from a technical versus non technical perspective is is sometimes the higher up the ladder you go, the less technical you actually need to be. You need to know how to get the best out of people who are technical in a way that is easy for you to understand, so that you can actually make an informed decision. And I think that's you know one of those one of the things that. You know, as a wisdom worker, you get more experienced at is that understanding that that asking the right questions, challenging the questions, and then synthesizing stuff that can be really technical, and then mm. getting the team around you to help make the decisions.
0: Yeah, and asking questions like why or how does this work, or what's your perspective on this and why is that important? And I found similar when you when often you'll get a legal answer in a business and it's a very clear, direct answer. And then it just recently this happened where we had a thing in a contract and we took a step back. What's the actual risk? What's the material risk? Are we prepared to take that as an organisation or not? Okay, we are. Okay, this is actually not a big deal. We can sign the contract and move on. So, yeah, that perspective can be really powerful. But then I also am going in with my eyes open knowing from a technical perspective What their view is, and I think it actually really helps with that decision making when you get to that level of detail because you've made the decision eyes wide open, knowing what some of those potential risks could be in the future.
1: And I think on the risk piece, you know, one of the things that sometimes you know people who are new into leadership I've seen in my experience is they don't want to ask the question, "What does this mean?" for fear of looking like they're not leading, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, interesting. So,
1: you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, every leader should feel safe and vulnerable in saying, I need help here and understanding. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's one thing that I'm not afraid to do. You know, we often deal with really technical legal things. And I just say, dumb it down for me, you know. So I think, you know, if if there's a skill or an attribute that an emerging leader can often forget to do. It's to say, I don't understand what that means. And I think Mm -hmm. if if people get more comfortable doing that, it'll make them feel comfortable. But more importantly, it will actually make those that they're leading feel more more comfortable in being vulnerable as part of the the leadership and the decision-making process.
0: Totally. And I felt like that person going, oh, I feel like the other one out in the room. I'm this young woman. How can I raise this? Or I don't want to look like an idiot or look stupid, particularly on technical engineering things because I'm supposed to be leading the project and have an engineering degree. And one of the leaders actually that I used to work with at Arab, she said to me, oh, you're an extroverted communicator. You like to go out and ask questions to clarify things. And I went, yes, there's a word for that. That's so powerful. And that's how I do actually find that I work through problems and solve them is by asking questions and having a discussion. And not every, say, engineer or not every person is like that. Often they like to go away and reflect and think about it. So I think understanding those communication styles and how people going to work through a problem or or solve a decision can be powerful as well. And she often found that when people were getting promoted, it was a stereotype. Oh, they asked lots of questions. They must be unsure of themselves. And she said that she often had to advocate and say, no, that's how they work through problems and solve things. So I think there can be a misperception around that as well. And I see you're nodding, Brett. So you might've seen this yourself.
1: I absolutely think you're spot on there. I mean, I love people that ask questions. I, I really do. I think, it's, I think it's really important. I'm conscious of time. Let me ask you one final question. How do you get somebody to not sit on the fence in making a decision? Because that drives me crazy. <laughs>
0: My first thought was consequences. So that might be where I'd have a conversation of, okay, well, what are the consequences if we don't make a decision? What are the consequences of decision A and B and kind of play it out? But this has happened, I feel like it's happened a lot, particularly when you're talking to people about their careers and where they want to go because they're, oh, I don't know, I don't know, and I don't know is the answer that a lot of people give. So I often go, let's talk through the consequences. And even if it's what's your worst fear, what do you think the worst thing that's going to happen? For me, it's like, you know, my family will desert me and I'll end up homeless, you know, sleeping on on the river. That's what, you know, and everyone will hate me for making you know, whatever decision. And it's a silly fear and I'm aware, aware of that, but that often can be underlying. So I think actually working through with people of what are they really concerned for? What's their actual fear can be a powerful way to get people to work through a decision because often it can be pers- a personal reason yeah. rather than the actual decision that they're dealing with what's your advice I'm going to play it back to you Brett
1: I love to ask this question if you were sitting in my chair what would you do
0: <laughs> that's good
1: it does a couple of things it helps people think oh the leader is interested in what I think and secondly it helps sort of almost propel them into a, a future state of Oof, maybe I could do this I've seen that work really really nicely yeah, I, think, I think I'm a big believer you, you know You've got to get people to not sit on a fence because then they're not growing and then you're not, you're not helping them grow. Conversely, you may not be getting the best thing out of them.
0: Yeah, and I think that question is powerful because it gets it to be external from a you and me phenomenon and gets it. You can talk about the process in that bigger picture and, and there's so much research around growth mindset and why that's powerful, but taking that step out and making it not about the individual and the person is a great new perspective to take to see things nearly. Awesome. This has been fun, Brett. I was a bit scared about this topic because I thought, oh, I don't know anything about decision-making. I don't even know if I'll mention it to you. What's my process? I felt like I had to have a really clear, strict formula, which I've discovered I have got some thinking behind decision-making. So thank you. This has been a great discussion.
1: No, a great discussion. And just for anybody that might be watching, Felicity and I weren't going to do this topic. We were going to do something completely different. And we had a conversation before we went live and said, why don't we just change it up a bit? Yeah. And we did it on the fly and that's okay. Decisions on the fly are okay because I think this has been a fun conversation.
0: Me too. And I like that, Brett. I was I was not expecting you to say that, but I like that you were authentic and truthful about, do you know what? I don't really like that topic. Okay, great. Let's do a different one. Here's Melons. What do you pick? And I do love to be prepared and have all my questions organised, which I didn't do, but I'm really happy that we had this conversation. So thanks for being brave, Brett, and telling me my idea sucked. It's quite- <laughs> I didn't say your idea stuff.
1: I said, I said, oh, that's a bit boring. We've done that before.
0: Yeah, and I then said. we made a quick decision and yeah. we did it and here's our podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the discussion today. As always, send through any feedback or if there's a topic that you'd like us to cover, let us know. We're going to be featuring some guests soon in the next few episodes. Uh, yeah, if there's something else you want us to talk about, please get in touch. Thanks for listening.